So where are you right now? I'm in Vienna. I'm in Vienna to cover the resumption of talks over the Iran nuclear deal, which the U.S. left in 2018 and which the remaining parties to the deal are now trying to revive. That's our colleague Suna Rasmussen. President Trump pulled the U.S. from the Iran nuclear deal, and now President Biden is trying to get the U.S. back in. Iran's president also wants the deal back in place. But the two countries have a long way to go to make it happen. Since the deal fell apart in 2018, the U.S. and Iran haven't met face-to-face. The Iranians insist that they don't want to meet American officials. And Iran says that because the U.S. withdrew, it has no business at the table with the other remaining parties to the nuclear deal. So it flatly refuses to meet. So instead of meeting directly, the two sides are holding indirect talks this week in Vienna. And a group of countries are playing intermediary. The Iranians are in one hotel. And then we have the U.S. delegation based in a hotel just across the street. Literally, it's 250 meters away. I looked it up on Google Maps. And you have European officials kind of shuttling in between those two delegations, bringing messages from the Iranians to the Americans and back again. So it's a bit of an awkward uh, setup. And Suna says this awkward setup shows how difficult it could be to reach an agreement. They're unable to sit down in the same room, and I think that speaks volumes to the mistrust there is between Tehran and Washington. Welcome to The Journal, our show about money, business, and power. I'm Ryan Knudsen. It's Thursday, April 8th. Coming up on the show, the challenging road ahead to restoring the Iran nuclear deal. This episode is brought to you by Citizen M. There's no better feeling than finishing work for the day, sipping an ice-cold soda and nuzzling down into a Citizen M bed. Recharge your brain and batteries at Citizen M Hotels. They're in the tech cities, Menlo Park, Miami, Austin, New York, San Francisco, where people like you work, sleep, and play. Book now at citizenm.com slash the journal. You know, we're just two months into the Biden presidency. Why has he made re-entering the Iran nuclear deal a priority? Well, we have to remember that Biden was part of the Obama administration that negotiated the deal in the first place. And Biden, like Obama, saw the deal as the best possible way to curb Iran's nuclear ambitions. Iran's nuclear enrichment and the possibility that it'll reach technology or technological level where it can get nuclear weapons is a major concern for any U.S. administration. And Biden thinks that this deal is the best way to prevent Iran from getting there. So he wants to restore the deal. Can you tell us the story of how this 2015 nuclear deal with Iran got done in the first place? Well, The controversy around Iran's nuclear program goes back to the early 2000s when it was found out that Iran had a clandestine nuclear weapons program, according to the U.S. and its allies. 
and the negotiations to limit that nuclear program in exchange for sanctions relief on Iran, or exchange for rolling back international sanctions on Iran, go back almost a decade. And it was a very torturous process negotiating this deal in the first place. It took many, many all-night sessions over months and months of haggling and diplomacy in hotel rooms, including here in Vienna especially. And then in 2015, the deal was concluded. The United States, together with our international partners, has achieved something that decades of animosity has not. A comprehensive long-term deal with Iran that will prevent it from obtaining a nuclear weapon. In addition to the U.S., China, Russia, France, Germany, and the U.K. were also part of the deal and agreed to help enforce it. So the 2015 nuclear deal, in essence, put various restrictions on Iran's nuclear enrichment, on the amount that it was allowed to stockpile for enriched uranium, and then it imposed strict monitoring by international inspectors on Iran. So the international community had unprecedented transparency into what Iran actually was doing in its nuclear facilities. On Iran's side, the deal lifted a bunch of international sanctions that were very damaging for its uh, economy, and it helped spur uh, economic growth. I think on both sides, or on all sides, people saw the deal as, they didn't see it as an ideal agreement. It had its shortcomings. But I think there was consensus among the proponents of the deal in the U.S. that this was the best possible deal. From the Obama administration's point of view, did they consider it a success? Proponents of the deal will say that it was working, yeah. Especially the monitoring part of it was very valuable to the international community. But Donald Trump didn't agree. When he first started campaigning for president, he said one of his top priorities would be backing out of the deal. President Trump said that this was the worst deal ever, I think were his words. I have been in business a long time. I know deal making. And let me tell you, this deal is catastrophic for America, for Israel, and for the whole of the Middle East. He basically saw the deal as an appeasement of the Iranians. And a lot of opponents of the deal said that Iran took the money that it gained from sanctions relief and funneled it into anti-American activities in the Middle East and into deepening its military footprint in the region, which ultimately goes against American interests. And those activities include support for groups that the U.S. consider terrorists, such as Hezbollah in Lebanon and Syria. And opponents of the deal said that the agreement by releasing money to the Iranians helped these activities. So in May 2018, President Trump pulled out. I am announcing today that the United States will withdraw from the Iran nuclear deal. In a few moments, I will sign a presidential memorandum to begin reinstating... Trump tried a different strategy to curb Iran's nuclear ambitions, what the White House called a maximum pressure campaign, which consisted of an avalanche of sanctions. Those sanctions ranged from Iran's central bank, its oil exports, its metal industry, certain entities inside the country, such as the Revolutionary Guard, the Supreme Leader's Office, and also individuals that they singled out. And what impact did those sanctions have on the Iranian economy? Most importantly, the sanctions cut Iran off from the international 
banking system. That means if you're in Iran, you cannot make an international money transfer. That hurts uh, the government, but it also hurts uh, local businesses. The sanctions also, by banning Iranian oil exports and other types of uh, international trade, also choked uh, a vital source of foreign exchange for Iran. So that meant that business slowed down, the economy stagnated, and there was very little foreign currency coming into the country. That meant unemployment rose, living standards dropped, the Iranian currency completely plummeted, and inflation also skyrocketed. And that hurts ordinary Iranians dramatically, actually. The Iranian currency has lost over 80% of its value since 2018. And Trump supporters, proponents of sanctions of this maximum pressure campaign would say that pressuring the Iranian population was also a way of pressuring the government or the regime in Tehran. At first, even after the U.S. pulled out of the deal, Iran kept complying with it. But that didn't last long. About 18 months ago, they started gradually disregarding some of the limits in the deal. So they began stockpiling more low-enriched uranium than they were allowed to. They began enriching uranium at a higher purity than they were allowed to. In recent months, they've taken more dramatic steps. They've pushed enrichment of uranium to 20%, which is much closer to weapons grade than the deal allows for. They've started producing what's called uranium metal, which can be used in the core of a nuclear warhead. And probably most concerningly for Western officials at least, they've started limiting access for United Nations nuclear inspections. Iran still doesn't have a nuclear bomb, but it's now much closer. And that's a big reason Biden wants to rejoin the deal. Biden all along during his campaign said that withdrawing from the deal was a mistake. It was working. It was working. It was being held tightly. There was no movement on the part of the Iranian government to get closer to a nuclear weapon. Biden says that pulling out of the deal not only allowed Iran to resume its nuclear weapons program, it also damaged America's standing in the Middle East. President Biden, during his campaign, spoke a lot about how President Trump had made a mess of things, especially of U.S.'s reputation around the world, and especially in the Middle East. And by tearing up the deal, the U.S. had lost a vital diplomatic channel of communication with Iran. We have lost our standing in the region. We have lost the support of our allies. The next president has- Biden wants influence in the Middle East. He wants to be able to stabilize the Middle East better than it is today. And Iran is a major power in the Middle East and a major adversarial power in the Middle East to the U.S. And without diplomacy with Iran, Biden will find it very difficult to, to influence his behavior in the Middle East. So I think this kind of fits into his broader goal of restoring America's reputation as a diplomatic superpower in the world. And it's not just the U.S. that wants to restore the deal. Iranian President Hassan Rouhani said in February that he'd like the deal back in place too, in order to lift the sanctions that have been crippling Iran's economy. But even though both sides want to rejoin, more difficult will be actually hammering out the details. That's after the break.
This episode is brought to you by Citizen M. There's no better feeling than finishing work for the day, sipping an ice-cold soda, and nuzzling down into a Citizen M bed. Recharge your brain and batteries at Citizen M Hotels. They're in the tech cities. Menlo Park, Miami, Austin, New York, San Francisco, where people like you work, sleep, and play. Book now at citizenm.com slash the journal. This episode is brought to you by Vonage. With Vonage Video API, your developers can easily create custom video experiences tailored to your business. Enhance every conversation with live video, whether it's delivering faster tech support, improving customer service, or enabling interactive meetings and events. Unlock the true video potential of your business. Discover how at Vonage.com. Once Biden took office, he reassembled part of the team that put together the original deal in 2015 to start working on how to get the U.S. back in. But even though it's the same people, they'll be facing different conditions in 2021. On paper, it looks simple. But I think there's two issues at play here. At the heart of it is this deep, deep mistrust between Tehran and Washington. And at the moment, the Iranians basically say, President Trump withdrew from the deal unilaterally and slapped these really damaging sanctions on us. How do we know that the next president is not going to do the same thing? So that's one thing. A second major issue is what to do with the Trump administration's sanctions. Generally speaking, Iran wants them gone, but Iranian politicians disagree about how hard-line they should be about it. Part of the context here is also that there's a big domestic dispute about how to engage with America and what to demand in return for going back to the nuclear deal. And President Hassan Rouhani, who is a moderate in Iran, he would be more amenable to going back to the deal gradually, as long as Iran did get some sanctions relief, do it step by step, as they say. But his hardline opponents, they are much more reluctant to doing that. And their line is that Iran should demand complete sanctions relief before they do anything. But whether Iran wants some or all of the U.S. sanctions removed, Biden is going to have a hard time getting that done. It's a thicket of sanctions. There's over a thousand sanctions imposed by the Trump administration on Iran. Some of them on entities, some of them on individuals. Some of them are nuclear-related and are pretty straightforward to lift, but others are tied to Iran's missile program or to alleged terrorist groups. The Trump administration deliberately, officials said at the time, put all these sanctions in place to make it very difficult for a future administration to roll them back. Take, for instance, the sanctions on Iran's Revolutionary Guard and Central Bank. Both were sanctioned for counterterrorism reasons. The Central Bank was sanctioned because it funnels money to the Revolutionary Guard, which supports, funds, and trains groups in the Middle East that the U.S. considers to be terrorists. They include Hezbollah in Lebanon, for example, or various Iraqi militias that have killed American soldiers. So if Biden is to go in and lift those sanctions on the central bank, he basically has to explain either why he doesn't consider it to be a funder of terrorism anymore or why it is okay to lift sanctions anyway. But could Biden remove those sanctions even if he wanted to? Yes, the authorities to do it if he wants to. But politically, it can be very tricky. 
I think, frankly, he might want to keep some of those sanctions in place, maybe not on the central bank, but Donald Trump didn't invent sanctions on Iran. The U.S. has always had sanctions on Iran. And I also think Biden will be hesitant to let up too much pressure on, on Iran, especially if these sanctions are on individuals or entities that demonstrably work against U.S. interests. That brings us back to Vienna, where Iran and the U.S. are playing this elaborate game of telephone. In order for the Americans to be comfortable signing a new deal, the Iranians would have to get back into compliance with the first nuclear deal. The Iranians say that this is a very simple process. They say that all their steps are easily reversible. They can easily come back into compliance with the nuclear deal. But they managed to doorstep the Iranian negotiator, Abbas Arakhchi, who told me his view of how the meetings were progressing. The Iranians say, and the nuclear chief in Tehran has said, that they can get back into compliance in three months, and it shouldn't take much longer than that. We don't know whether the Americans agree with that timeline. So does it seem like the two sides are making progress? I suspect, because we're hearing that there'll be another meeting on Friday, I think there will be some progress. I think they will have a loose plan for how to get back into compliance with the deal. How long that'll take is the big question. The Americans say that they're not under any time pressure. The Iranians want proper progress before the presidential elections in June. I think the Americans would probably agree that that's an ideal situation, but they also don't want to behold into any Iranian timeline. That's all for today, Thursday, April 8th. The Journal is a co-production of Gimlet and The Wall Street Journal. If you like the show, follow us on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. We're out every weekday afternoon. Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow.